Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. Hey, Betties. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. We are going to be going on a magic carpet ride today on fasting. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box 
free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate, Melody, you love the best. This is probably the topic that I get asked about the most, both from men and women. And not surprisingly, it is different for men and women, and we have different considerations based on our unique physiological um, differences. So let's talk about the things that unify us first, (laughs) and we'll talk about the things that are separate. So fasting, probably the premier topic in healthcare over the past 18 months to um, two years. I've been on multiple podcasts talking about this. Some of the benefits of fasting... First, the easy one, probably the number one weight loss tool on the planet. If you have excess adiposity, you have excess weight that you want to lose, fasting is the easiest way to realize that because you are not taking in any calories. There are a whole host of physiological benefits that accompany fasting. So it is a hormetic stress or a eustress, meaning that while it is temporarily uncomfortable or can be uncomfortable um, with hunger um, signaling while you're fasting, that uncomfortable short-term discomfort leads to long-term benefits. So some of those benefits are something called autophagy, uh, which is basically the Pac-Man, the spring cleaning of your cells, if you will. This is when your macrophages, which are a part of your immune system, will go around and gobble up all the cherries and eat up all the ghosts. So um, senescent cells, cellular debris, slow machinery, mitochondria are cells that are not working as optimally as they should. Your Pac-Mans, your macrophages are going to go around and gobble all of those up. So what you're left with is young, efficient cells. And then once you start eating again, um, you can also uh, give birth to even younger cells. So it is an anti-aging uh, mechanism. It lowers insulin. So we talk about insulin uh, in with guests, and I've been talking about this on my solo podcast. Now, insulin is not the like it is not the evil hormone that I think many people in the ketogenic world make it out to be. But for specific populations, specifically people who need to lose weight, um, who have a hormonal condition, this is for the ladies, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is usually we see um, a concordance of obesity, we see high testosterone, and we see high insulin in these ladies. And it can have a whole host of issues like infertility, depression, uh, even even male pattern weight gain and things like male pattern baldness, gaining weight through the abdomen. And we also see high insulin in populations like type 2 diabetics. So fasting will help lower insulin. Uh, It also physiologically activates something called sirtuins. So we talked about this with David Sinclair on the podcast. So if you want to go on a really deep dive in terms of what sirtuin activation is and why it's important for longevity, you can go and check out that podcast. But it activates sirtuins, which for the purposes of this shorter, more brief podcast, knowing know that sirtuins are a mechanism for you to live 
longer. Um, and it does that through gene silencing and also does that through DNA repair. So lots of really great stuff, right? So who should not be fasting? Let's just actually, there's actually categorically, um, there are certain populations that should not be fasting. So people with eating disorders. So when we think about eating disorders, we're talking about anorexia, we're talking about um, bulimia, uh, even orthorexia, which is this dedication to being right all the time. So they exercise excessively they are fanatic about counting calories. Uh, people who are malnourished. So if you have a BMI of under 18.5, this is not going to be a mechanism that you want to be using. If you are pregnant or breastfeeding, or if you are a child under 18. So this, these two populations, we want these populations to be anabolic or trophic, right? If you are pregnant, you are growing a baby. This is not the time to lose weight. Um, and if you are a child, of course, you are also growing, right? So I would, you know, I would say 18 at the bare minimum. Um, I would probably extend that if I could to 25 because that's really when we see maturation of the musculoskeletal system uh, or the neuromusculoskeletal system, including the brain. But at a very minimum, children under 18 should not be fasting. And then people who have primary HPA axis issues, like pituitary tumors, uh, or those who've had recent surgery. You don't need to be fasting there. This is where you need to be healing and foods are going to be your medicine in, this, uh, in that particular scenario. So those are people who should not be fasting. Who, who should be fasting then? Well, men and women that don't fall into those categories. But what I think is really missing in a lot of the um, online uh, experts and people who talk about fasting is the the goal of the fast right so we want to always be thinking there's when i think when i think about fasting i think about it as like a three lever system there's three levers that you can pull and within those three different options and i'll go over which ones uh, what those options are and how we can manipulate those variables there are so many different ways to fast and you can really customize this based on what your goals are so let's talk about the three different types of levers. So the three levers that I, when I think about fasting, I think about it as three different uh, variables for MNIP. So we have uh, the length of the fast can be manipulated, the type of fast can be manipulated, and the frequency with which you are fasting can also be manipulated. So length of the fast, um, that could be a time-restricted eating. So you are still eating every day, but you're just restricting the time in which you consume your calories. You can do a 24-hour fast. So that might mean on Sunday night, you have uh, your last meal at 7 p.m., let's say, and then the next time you eat would be Monday night at 7 p.m. That's 24 hours, still actually eating once a day. Um, another option would be a longer fast. So you can do um, you know, a 36-hour fast, a 48-hour fast, a 72, you know, so the length of the fast is one variable that you can manipulate. Another variable in terms of fasting is the type of fast that you do. So whenever we talk about fasting, we always have to qualify the type of fast. So there's different ones that I have categorized. I just mentioned a few of them. So time-restricted eating is a type of fast. Um, a non-caloric uh, liquid fast. So that would be no calories in liquid form. So that might be a, what people might refer to as a water fast. Um, I will also include black coffee in that as well. Um, herbal teas would be an NCLF for me, non-caloric liquid fast. 
a caloric fast. So this is when you are um, consuming calories, but it is in liquid form. So this is um, not technically a pure, for the Puritans who are listening, this is not a pure fast because you are consuming foods with calories. So things like bone broth or like a fatty coffee or fatty tea. I usually will recommend caloric liquid fasting because it is a great tool to use for healing and repairing the gut. So this kind of comes back to what we were talking about before when we were saying like, what's the goal of fasting? Is the goal weight loss? Is the goal hormonal repair? Is the goal repairing a leaky gut? Um, Liquid fasts are really great because it's easier for your gut, obviously, to absorb nutrients in liquid form. And we all know that you're not what you eat, but you are what you absorb. And when we think about, in particular, caloric liquid fasts like bone broth, these are so helpful for gut healing because bone broth is really rich in an amino acid called glutamine. And this is the glutamine... um, uh, the intestinal epithelial cells, like the lining of the intestine, they, they gobble glutamine up um, and use it for energy. And these intestinal epithelial cells have a really high turnover rate. I, I want to say it's like every two to three days we have um, a new set of intestinal epithelial cells. So this is going to help the quality of the lining of your gut. And it also has been shown, uh, glutamine has also been shown to improve um, intestinal permeability. So when we think about um, when we think about the uh, the gapping in between the cells, we want super tight gaps because everything that you eat, you don't want it ending up in the bloodstream, right? So the more, the tighter those junctions are, the less permeable the gut lining um, is. And then of course, we have things like collagen and gelatin that are usually present in bone broth, especially if you make it at home. Uh, and those have also been shown to strengthen the mucosal layer um, in the gut you know, gelatin will absorb water and helps to keep some of the aggressive bacteria and like other microbes from passing through the intestinal walls. And some of these like uh, opportunistic bacteria, you know, you don't want those getting into um, the bloodstream. And I could go on and on about why I love caloric liquid fasts, um, particularly uh, my absolute love of the musculoskeletal system, uh, your skeleton, the scaffolding of your body, right? Um, bone broth is going to be providing um, ingredients for building bones, things like calcium and phosphorus, the amino acids we were talking about, yellow and red um, marrow as well. And when you actually look at the trabecula, when you actually zoom in on bone, it has this beautiful matrix where we see red and yellow um, marrow um, as part of that structural unit. So bone broth is really, really important for upholding the scaffolding and keeping your um, MSK uh, your uh, neuromus- uh, your musculoskeletal system super healthy. And of course, I have to say, great for your joints, tendons, and ligaments, right? So when you're drinking bone broth, um, we have uh, in the bone broth, there's something called um, glycosaminoglycans or GAGs for short. These are really important for connective tissue and synovial fluids. So, they, uh, so these GAGs allow for... Um, uh, uh, proper joint lubrication and pliability. So when um, when we talk about joint lubrication, what that means is that it allows for one bone making up one part of the joint to glide across the other without without pain. So if you are somebody who um, deals with range of motion issues like pain uh, with range of motion, whether that's passive or active, um, having bone broth is going to be really excellent for um, uh, contributing to the lubrication and pliability of the joint. So that's a caloric liquid fast. 
Uh, we also have things like fasting mimetics. So like a ketogenic diet is technically a fasting mimetic because it initiates some of the benefits that we were talking about because you're reducing one entire macronutrient. You're taking down your carbohydrates really low. Uh, you are going to be lowering insulin. Uh, you'll be activating sirtuins, autophagy, uh, lowering, um, and it's also a, a type of hormetic stress as well. And it can contribute to weight loss when um, calories are equated. So Fasting mimetics, another type of fasting mimetic is caloric restriction. And you'll kind of see in a, in a, uh, in a moment that I'm not a huge fan of, of, of CR for or caloric restriction for women uh, because it can have over the long term, like really detrimental effects on our fertility and our reproductive organs. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna it's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. So we've talked about length. We've talked about type. And the third lever would be frequency. So how often you do it. So a TRE, like a time-restricted eating, is done every single day, right? Um, You can do um, a weekly 24-hour fast. You can do a quarterly 32-hour fast, right? You can do uh, a yearly uh, seven-day fast. So there's, you can kind of see by playing with each of these variables that you can actually come up with a lot of different ways to fast. And that is really beautiful because then you can tailor it to the goals and dreams that you have around your health. So maybe it's hormonal healing, maybe it's weight loss, uh, maybe it's gut healing, maybe it's energy and clarity of thought. There's a lot of different ways that you can pull those three levers. So I was um, talking a little bit about our similarities in fasting. And I want to just briefly touch on some of the reasons why I am not a big fan of long-term fasting, particularly caloric restriction for women. So, and this is really important because I think as women culturally, for for the longest time, since the beginning of time, well, maybe not since the beginning, but maybe more of since the industrial revolution, you know, big, beautiful, voluptuous ladies used to be on vogue. And now it's really, um, you know, the tinier you can get um, uh, is, is what seems to be celebrated, which I'm not a huge fan of uh, and a topic for another podcast. But when we talk about long-term caloric restriction, um, I, and I'll put the link... Um, in the show notes, there was, and granted, I will also just preface this by saying that the the study that I'm kind of describing was done on was done on rodents, um, so rodents are not people. Um, but I have clinically seen some of the same complaints that these rodents were displaying in patients who have tried to do long term fast. So when we look at women or, or these female rodents that were restricting their calories, it was either a twenty percent caloric restriction or a forty percent caloric restriction. Uh, 
they did this for six months and then um, they looked at men and women. So the guys did the 20% and the 40%, the girls did the 20% and the 40%. Uh, they were looking for any sex-specific differences in metabolism, behavior, reproduction. And what they found was that females who uh, calorically restricted, um, they were in the 40% group, they they became weak and thin, they lost their ability to menstruate, uh, their adrenal glands enlarged uh, along with a heightened stress response, Uh, sleep disturbances uh, were amplified, um, and this also, we, ha- we had this to a lesser degree in the group in that, that calorically restricted at 20%. So just think about a woman who's like, okay, I have the, you know, I have the high school reunion coming up in a couple months. I'm going to start dieting. So what does she do? She restricts her calories, um, for, you know, for a short window um, I'm okay with it as long as it's done properly and with supervision and you're making sure that you're getting all of your appropriate um, uh, phyto, like you know, minerals and vitamins. Um, but what, what we often see with women is that we think that we need to be really, really thin all the time. So we are always either perpetually restricting the calories that we take in uh, or we are you know, over-exercising, uh, which is another topic completely. And then we pair that, of course, with hateful words and uh, you know, this sort of... Um, you're not good enough, not pretty enough, not worthy enough thing. So when, uh, when we are thinking about a, um, a woman fasting, if we look at this for a moment through an evolutionary lens, it's likely when we, when we hear things like sleep disturbances. So these rodents, what they noticed was that they had a lot more activity, um, uh, during the day, so rats are rats are nocturnal, so meaning that they um, they're awake at night and they should be asleep during the day. So when they see more activity during the day, it would be akin to us um, being more active and more awake overnight. So if there is caloric scarcity um, over the long term, in this case, it was six months. The sleep disturbances um, that they noticed in these rodents is because they are now. From an evolutionary lens, anyway, probably going to want to forage over a larger uh, area to find more food, and I have seen this in clinic as well. So this is a when we fast for a long period of time. When I say long period of time, it's like over twenty four hours. If you are already somebody who has a tendency towards stress, uh, sympathetic dominance having an act like hypercortisolemia, you are much more likely to be in a state of chronic low-grade inflammation. And then you layer on top of that a uh, another sympathetic driver like fasting. This is going to, this is where we're, we can potentially see some consequences in terms of sleeping. Um, and of course, in terms of our reproductive function, you know, we can still kind of continue this conversation in terms of, evolu- you know, an evolutionary perspective uh, and move it into sort of modern day, right? Like mothers are usually the primary caregiver of her littles, right? Her little ones primarily fall under her. We used to live in more uh, communal type of uh, environments where the woman and the mother and the cousins and the sisters and the aunts and the, you know, just people who were part of that community were helping to raise those littles. So it wouldn't only just fall on her, but somehow we've gone from this communal raising, it takes a village, right? To to raise children, uh, to being a mom holed up in her house who is actively seeking out mommy groups because she's all by herself. Parents are living probably in another city. Um, you know, 
in, in this sort of state of chronic sleep deprivation. So you add fasting on top of that because she's like desperately trying to lose the, the pregnancy weight or, you know, someone who just wants to lose weight, you know, irrespective of whether she has children or not. And you can see how we can start to mess up our menstrual cycles. And I experienced this in a slightly different way when I was competing in figure. So one of my, uh, what do you call those things? Bucket lists in my life was to um, get up on stage in a bikini and have people judge me. Don't ask me why. It's like, I would never do it again. But I had this idea that I was going to be a figure competitor and uh, wanted to do it. So for 85% of my training, it was super clean foods, really great training, super hydrated. Um, And then we got to peak month and then peak week, which is is extremely difficult on the body. You are basically playing around with your uh, hydration levels. So you kind of water load and then you you kind of drink as much water as you can. So you're just like your body's like, oh my God, there's too much water. I got to let it all go. And then you very abruptly get rid of your water intake so that you can show like the whole point of it is to kind of get your subcutaneous muscles uh, or the, sorry, the subcutaneous water. out so that your muscles actually show. Uh, It's like not healthy at all, but um, uh, works for the stage. Um, And after the, and then there's also a caloric restriction that goes like in that month sort of leading up to the show, you are restricting your calories and peak week is just like it's its own version of hell. And so there I was like plugging away. I'm like strong like bull. I'm going to do this. Um, Got up in a mono, like a one-piece suit, uh, then a a two-piece suit, had people judge my body and uh, came in third, by the way. Thank you very much. But lost my period after that. So um, as I was refeeding, you know, after the show, super happy, super proud of my uh, accomplishment, but lost my period um, for a good three months. And then it took another three months for it to actually get back on the 29 day cycle that it, uh, that it is now. So caloric restriction, and I mean, that's an extreme example. And of course, I'm the one to bring you the extreme example because I'm just that extreme person. But um, a woman who is wanting to benefit from fasting, it's not that you can't. Like, I'm not sharing this with you to say that you cannot fast. Um, I hate saying that it depends, but it kind of depends. I, I, I still think that you can and you should fast, but it's the type of uh, it's the type of fasting. It's the way that you pull those three levers. You know, depending on your goals, like you can have more aggressive fasting. Like if you have excess adiposity and you have a lot of weight um, loss that's required, or if you have PCOS and you like desperately want to get your period so that you can get pregnant. Um, you can engage in more aggressive fast, like a non-caloric liquid fast. Or if you're someone who has like estrogen uh, dominance or someone who gets PMSE in your luteal phase, um, you can, you know, you can do gentler fast. Like you can do the bone broth fasting that we discussed, um, especially particularly in the luteal phase, like that second half of our period when we still want to reap some of the benefits of fasting, but not go full tilt on it. So, um, the bottom line here is that I think everybody should fast, but it's the type and the way that you fast that is super important. So you need to, in order to make a decision, you need to have a defined goal for your fasting. Like what is it that you want to do? Do you want to heal your gut? Do you want to have excess energy? Do you want to lose weight? Whatever that is. You have to understand your hormonal status. So that might be something that you work with, with either um, you know, a, a clinician like myself or uh, with some, uh, you know, a doctor that you know, love and trust. Um, 
And then you also have to have a plan, right? You have to think about those three different levers and you have to design something that's going to work in your lifestyle because there's nothing worse than saying, yeah, I'm going to go for seven days, only water. um, And then you do it in the luteal phase and you're just like miserable. So we really want to be thinking about designing something that is sustainable and something that you can repeat and do with success over time. So that's my little bit on fasting. I would love for you to tell me what you thought about this. If there's any follow-on questions that you have, join the Facebook community and uh, we can. I will continue the discussion. If I get more questions, I will do another solo episode on fasting. We can do deeper dives into each of those levers and how I design them for uh, clients. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.